Welcome to High Notes with Dr. B, a podcast about brave, courageous, risk-taking women. I want to help us all live a courageous life by challenging you and me about all aspects of our lives. I will feature guests who are guaranteed to inspire you. I will also discuss and review a new book by women. My goal is to challenge myself and you to think about the world around us and lead a life that is about changing for the better. My guest today is Kamini Wood. She is the founder and CEO of Live Joy Your Way and the Authentic Me Rise Up program. She's an international best-selling author, and she's driven to support both teens and adults struggling with perfectionism to let go of stress. You'll hear in our podcast how she has struggled with perfectionism herself. Kamini is a certified life coach and she's board certified by the American Association of Drugless Practitioners, trained in conscious parenting and conscious uncoupling. Kamini aims to meet her clients where they are, supporting and guiding them on the journey back towards inner confidence, energy, and empowerment to be themselves, both personally and professionally. Today, we will discuss her own parenting, um, some of her techniques and beliefs when it comes to working with high school-aged girls and boys, as well as some of her opinions on parenting, and she should know she's a parent of five children. Also, we will talk about her book, Life's Gentle Reminders. Hi, Comedy. How are you? Hi, Denise. How are you? I'm so glad to be here with you. Thank you. Me too. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, I would really like to uh, talk about your book a little bit um, to get us started. Um, it says that you um, work with both teens and adults. Can you talk about your work with teens? I'm so, I'm so curious about that. And if you think uh, teenagers have changed in the last few years. Yes. So um, as you know, and so we can enlighten some of your listeners, I am actually the mother of five. So I have um, my children range in age from six to 18. So I have a gamut of um, a a, a group of teenagers in my own house. (laughs) You know how that happens, right? (laughs) I do. Yes. yes. Okay. (laughs) Just making sure. (laughs) It's so funny you say that because I'm actually only, I'm one of only two and I never imagined having a large family and here I am. So it's, you know, it's very interesting. I I do, it kind of anchors into my, my main sort of thought, which is life is, is a journey that's happening through us and for us. And so I was meant to be a mom to five. And I really do think that it led me on my journey because I have been asked many times as well, how did you end up being a life coach? Because I am a life coach for high achievers, both adults and teens. And the work that I'm doing is helping them with the, the stress and anxiety that comes with trying to you know, do it all to meet those external expectations and validations to meet, you know, the, it's, it's basically helping those who find themselves people pleasing and trying to get it all right all the time. And why, why I'm driven is because that was me. But the reason why I bring that up is because um, my children were my catalyst to change, right? So as I saw my children 
showing up in a way that was people pleasing and worrying about constantly meeting these external expectations, I realized they were getting that from me. Mm. And so I went through my own self-transformation, my own self-growth. And that really drew me into the work that I'm doing now and why I'm working with the people that I'm working with. And so to your question specifically about teens, they are under a lot of pressure. You know, they, they've got social pressures, you know, familial pressures, academic pressures. There's so much going on in their lives. And if we can give them a way to understand the emotions that they're feeling and make it safe for them to express that, um, we can help them, you know, maneuver through these years. Because what happens is, is when we don't address it when we're younger or even in their teenage years, we carry those covert messages into adulthood. And then we end up thinking that we have to meet some external expectation or some external validation, or we have to change ourselves inside out to please those that we might be in relationship with, for instance. And we have to recognize that it's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to, you know, um, take care of yourself. You know, self-compassion is a huge thing that I talk about, especially with my teens, my teen clients is, you know, it's not selfish to, to, you know, really identify what you're feeling and what you're needing and then making sure that you're filling that cup back up. Because when we start young and we start thinking that it's other people first and that we have to meet their expectations of us before our own expectations of ourselves, um, that's when you start living, you know, from the outside in and it needs to be from the inside out. Mm, really good. Really good. That was a long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, very, very good and very interesting uh, for sure. It's funny because I think part of it has to do with personality type. Don't, don't you think so? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I had the personality type of perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So for instance, for me, it, you know, I, it became an understanding of, I can, I can be who I am with my personality, but I don't, I can't control and nor is it my responsibility to manage somebody else's happiness. So it's an understanding from, you know, an emotional as well as mental level of the distinction between contributing to somebody's happiness versus mm -hmm. being responsible for. And so when you take in the personality type of perfectionist where we want everything to line up, that's how when you add in the people pleasing aspect to it, it's mm -hmm. we take on this, this role of I'm in charge of and I'm responsible for happiness. And so it's resetting that where we recognize when we're in conversation with somebody, it's their responsibility for how they respond and receive, just as it's our responsibility for how we choose to respond and receive the things that we're hearing. Right. Versus, so when we're entering into conversation, it's okay to, you know, tell it like it is in mm -hmm. how we feel, as long as we're going in with, you know, good intentions, meaning we're wholeheartedly entering into the conversation. We're not going into a conversation to intentionally hurt somebody or to intentionally cause them frustration. If we're, if they choose to be frustrated, that's on them. And so it's really learning what's mine versus what's theirs. Ah, well, I would uh, dare say that a lot of adults could learn that. <laughs> and, and I'm, and so I'm wondering if you're teaching that to teenagers, uh, uh, what, what are the parents' reaction? Because I would think that a lot of parents have this sense that, that their child is there to be a reflection of them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that their child needs to do what they want them to do, what will make the family proud, what yeah. will make them proud as a parent. So how do you break that cycle? 
I mean, it's, it's not very uh, uh, clear cut in those, in those boundaries, right? There's a lot of boundary crossing by parents and children. And I would think that a high school student would struggle with being um, free to say, mom, cut it out. You are, you are in my boundary zone. I mean, yeah, I have, I have a couple answers to that question. One is the people who choose to work with me, those parents have come to terms with the idea that our children are, um, while we want them to be a reflection of us, we also want them to be individuals. We're ready for them to become their own individual person and we're, we're embracing that. So the parents who are not ready for that aren't probably going to choose to have their their child work with me. So that's number one. Number two, though, is the way that I'm working with teens is we do work on communication style. It really comes down to communication where we don't say to our mom or dad, you know, you're in my business. It's more, mm-hmm. you know, really getting in touch with what they're feeling and being able mm-hmm. to communicate it in the compassionate way. Oh. And, and, it, and it's not something that parents would be necessarily open to immediately because obviously the dynamic has been the dynamic it's been for whatever time it is, but it's taking it in pieces and recognizing that, that, you know, change occurs with small shifts over time. So as we build these new patterns and practices and, and the teens that I'm working with are able to communicate in a compassionate way, but Mm -hmm. are able to communicate with their parents. Um, Those are the ones where the shifts are going to happen. And the parents recognize, you know, I, Ultimately, I want my child to be happy. Ultimately, it's my child who gets to determine what makes them happy. And so through, honestly, through really learning how to communicate with each other, they're able to get there. Right. So it, it, and it, it comes from openness. I mean, parents have to be open to, to letting their children um, say what's on their mind and heart mm-hmm. and not necessarily take it on as a reflection of them being a bad parent, but rather their child is growing up into, um, you know, a very independent person who's able to take care of themselves and really becoming their own self leader. Right. Uh, my parents are 94 and have still not learned that lesson. (laughs) They, they would love to tell me what to do if they could. Right. Well, and so and in some ways she does tell my middle sister, right. What to do. With yeah. me, she knows my, my, my dad has Alzheimer's. So it's mostly my mom at this point. who does most of the communicating, but my father was very controlling. Um, but my mother, uh, um, would love to tell me w- what to do and what to think and all of those things, even to this day. And, and, but she knows that I'm just going to probably say, yeah, mom, <clears throat> that I'm not, no, <laughs> my, my, I mean, my, and my sister would just listen and, and then, you know, so we're different. We're very different in that. But I, I, I did say once out of frustration with my mother and I was a, an adult, like big time adult. My kids were in high school <laughs> and I told her, I said, you know, one of the best gifts you could give me mother is to treat me the same way you would appear the mm-hmm. same way. Now I'm, I'm not a teenager, of course, mm-hmm. but but the same way you would appear mm-hmm. in this, uh, uh, you, you would not give a next door neighbor this kind of conversation. You would treat that next door neighbor with some respect. And I think the great, and I do believe this, I think the greatest thing a parent can do 
is decide when the, when the child becomes an adult, okay, you're an adult. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to treat you like a peer that I trust. I'm, I'm not going to give unsolicited advice. I'm not going to tell you, you need to go comb your hair uh, or, or whatever, you know, whatever, right. whatever that may be, how to spend your money, those, yeah. those kinds of things. I, I think, and I also think, man, parenting advice to give your kid parenting advice is a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, I know, I'm a, I know my own mother has learned that. Um, but you bring up some really great points. And it's part of the, the training that I went through with just learning how, you know, just conscious parenting, um, which is, you know, recognizing when we are projecting on our children and we're projecting our own like wants and desires and, and yeah. learning oh, wait, I, that's my projection. I need to dial that back. You know, learning things like the fact that, you know, our children aren't possessions. They're individuals. They're humans that are going to have, they're having a human experience. We are blessed to be their guides along the way, mm-hmm. but we don't get to necessarily own and control every single thing that they do, especially when they're their own adult being. Right. <laughs> um, but it really is, and, and so for a lot of parents, it's getting in touch with their own their own backstory. You know, where is some of this coming up? Where am I, where are my old stories hiding that are now being projected on my children? And so as parents, and that's what, you know, I did with my own self-work, which was like, oh my goodness, this people pleasing, that's my own story. And now I'm projecting that behavior onto my children. And so it's being aware of it and being, and, and making that decision for myself. Is this worth shifting? Would I want to shift this for the betterment of, you know, those around me? Right, 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 right. Yeah, uh, that's really, really great advice. I was a single parent, so I often felt like I was drowning. And I, I, and and for the first little bit of being a single parent, I was also working on a doctorate. So I was, you know, not in a place financially to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do. And, um, but anyway, I, I, I would just say, you know, what would you, what advice would you tell a parent that's like, maybe, maybe I should get my child a, um, a a life coach because I think people don't generally don't do that until they're in their adulthood and they decide they deserve that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I, but I think, um, it wouldn't be a parent's go-to to think, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get my kid a life coach, especially if they're a single parent and money is tight. What, what, what would your, what would your advice be on that? Yeah. So my advice on that is to, you know, sort of slow it down and think about the things that we do invest in. You know, when we want our child to do really well at piano, we get them a piano coach. And mm-hmm. when we want our child to do really well at, you know, a sport, we'll invest in the lessons and the coach for that. And even a tutor in school for Mm -hmm. the academic things. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, is this an investment worth making? Is this something that our, our child could use? And based on the work that I do and, and, you know, just my, my understanding of how it can exponentially affect your life, because it's not just one aspect of your life. I mean, we're talking about how you show up as an individual, you know, setting you up for you know, being able to engage in relationships in a healthier dynamic, being able to show up with, you know, a different mindset in the workplace, just even in school and getting through school. It, for parents, it's an investment, not just in the now, but in the future, in their, in the future for their child. 
The other thing that comes up with parents is there's this sort of worry that, you know, well, I'm, I'm their parent. This is my job. You're absolutely, and I say to parents, you know, you're absolutely right. You're their parent, but you get to be mom or dad. You know, this is an opportunity to have a third party be able to help support and support in ways that would, you know, sort of step, not step on, but step on the parental, that parental um, emotional bond. You know, you, you want to love your child as mom or dad. You want to be able to, to not necessarily have to point out, you know, certain things that maybe they're thinking about things in, in, you know, not, I don't want to say the wrong way, but maybe in not the healthiest way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's nice to have that third party who can be that buffer. Right. And also for your children, sometimes having somebody who's not mom and dad that they can also trust and recognize that I do have somebody who supports me and you know has my back, so to speak, it again gives them, gives your child that extra level of confidence to, you know, really find who they are and really move forward with their life. So all in all, um, you know, when talking to parents about, you know, working with me, it, it really just comes down to investing in, in their child's now and future. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like that. What if a person has a, a teenager who's not necessarily a high achiever, but is very bright and is kind of underachieving? What do you do you ever have that sort of child where you're like, look, this is what you could do. What do you or what do you want to do? Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, having been in education, we find that students are doing something that actually fits something their parents force them to do. And they're mm-hmm. not very passionate about it. So they underachieve. Right. Um, have, can you, is that an experience you've ever had? Yes, actually. Um, I had a client recently who was underachieving at school and it turns out that she was just really bored with the things that she was involved in outside mm-hmm. of school. And so it mm-hmm. was, it was showing up in, in her academic work. And so as you. we, as we uncovered all of that and really started to identify what she is passionate about doing and adding that into her life, it helped her in terms of be, you know, it, it intrinsically motivated her to do better academically, you know, cause all of this really is waking up that intrinsic desire, right? You can't, you know, motivation is an internal thing. You can't just tell somebody do better in school and suddenly they're going to do better in school. It's about, them wanting it and them really um, desiring it for themselves. And so when you do talk about students who are underachieving, usually it's because there's something else going on that they just haven't discussed. Right. Right. When you say high achieving adults, what, what's the, what is the parameters for that? Are they high achieving in business? Are they high achieving in And what? What do you mean by that? Uh, I'm referring to high achievers um, generally in life. I call them the nexters. And what I mean by that is they set their goals. And as soon as they get there, they're like, oh, yeah, I did that. Okay, next. It's those Mm. of us who um, are constantly sort of like, we don't don't slow down long enough to really um, celebrate the things that we have accomplished. And we almost define ourselves by being super busy. As though if we weren't as busy in, in doing all the things, we would somehow be um, considered lazy. You know, for us women, it's the women who constantly are carrying around that superwoman 
that superwoman identity, superwoman cape, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Can't um, relate to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I. Neither can I. That's right. <laughs> you know, and so what my goal there is not to say that you can't be superwoman, but it's let's take that cape off for a few minutes and let's really dissect where that's coming from. And is it possible that you can still be doing all the things that you want to do, but actually be present in your life? Because what happens with us high achievers is we're doing all the things and we miss out on what is actually occurring in our present day. Well, I'm going to say a big amen to that. <laughs> yeah, I carry a lot of, a, a little bit of guilt where my sons are concerned since I was the only parent and I just felt like I needed to prove that they were going to be okay with me, right? So. Yep. I, I went to school so that I could make more money so that I could be sure they were in music lessons and, and, and all this play, pay to play sports they wanted to be in and so that they could dress like their peers. And having been in education, I had seen kids that had single parents who, who seemed to not have the things other people had. And I was determined not to make my child have those kinds of experiences. And, and I'm afraid that having that be my focus cost me some stuff, cost me some, some real quality time, some real focusing on, on my child. And um, I mean, I told myself all the busyness was for them and for mm -hmm. their life and all of that, which by the way, we're, we're, my sons and I are good. I'm, right. I'm not, Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here I am explaining, you know, but, but I, but I certainly get that. I, I, that really resonates with me and my experience as a, as a single, single parent. Do you, do you think moms have more trouble with that or do you think dads have more? So that's a really great question. I used to think that it was moms who were the almost the only sufferers of this. And then I started doing my work and I started working with some male individuals as well. And I realized there are definitely dads who have this, have this too. You know, they just have it, you know, the story is going to be ever so slightly different from a male perspective versus a female perspective. Um, I, I do think that women and moms probably, if I were, to, if I were to say based on my work, I would say that it does tend to lean higher mom focused in terms of those that feel it. But I cannot honestly say that I have not witnessed dads with the same issue pop up. Hmm. Um, so yes, I mean, I do think that moms feel it more just based on my own work. I don't have any scientific data to prove this. Um, but I, I will just say that with the caveat of I have seen dads with a similar complex and similar issues pop up for them. Um, sometimes with men, it's, I've got to do all the things from a um, bringing in the money perspective. Right. And then suddenly they have those moments of, oh my goodness. And they look around and they're, you know, I was just talking to a client about this recently, about how he was saying, you know, he kind of hit his oldest hit the age of 13. And it was like this wake up call of, oh my gosh, I just missed all of her like between six and 13. And now suddenly she's almost getting ready to go to high school. And it was that moment for him where he was mm. he reset, you know, he's, I, I have to reset this at this point because I'm right. missing out. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's really good. 
Um, let's talk about your book. Tell us about it. Yes. So my book came out in the beginning of March. It's called Ohm Life's Gentle Reminders. It's actually not a cover to cover read. It's a compilation of analogies. um, And the analogies are based on life experiences, just everyday life experiences that I was having within my own life. And how from the outset, one might think that they're either negative or stressful or just you know, the ugh moments of life. Mm-hmm. And I took them and reframed them to demonstrate and to illustrate how we might be able to reframe things and turn things and learn, uh, see how we can learn from them mm-hmm. and how there can be po- positives as well as just self growth. It's not meant to be pendulum swing thinking where it's like, oh, this bad thing happened. No, no, no. It's really great. It's just meant to, to just push that envelope ever so slightly to say, but what if there was this element of positive in this? Or what if there was this element of lesson learned? What can we take from it? And how could that benefit us going forward? Um, and it goes back to my, again, what I, I've been anchoring into for myself, which is that life's this journey. So even the things that don't um, appear to go the way that I wanted them to go, or, you know, don't go as planned, there is a lesson in it. And so it's just a way to say everyday life and all the things that we're experiencing are little reminders of how we can, we can grow or we can move forward, take something and move forward with it. Great. Yeah. I own, I own the book. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, what's your favorite one? You know, I bounce back and forth, but the one that um, really I I really actually resonate with with for myself is when I speak about my daughter's. Um, she's she's an aspiring ballerina, and she uh, has to deal with a lot of blisters and a lot of foot mm-hmm. issues, mm-hmm. and they're pretty gross and nasty. And one might think that's really gross and nasty, but it's really those blisters and pains that make her feet stronger so she can keep dancing and doing the things that she wants to do. And for me, that reminds me of how, you know, we'll get bumps and bruises along the way in life, but it's those bumps and bruises that can teach us and also make us a little bit stronger for the next time. Uh, So I would say that that's probably the one that I, I kind of, I hone into um, personally, routinely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That ohm is called blisters get you ready. Is that the yes, one you're talking yes, about? Yes, yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, well, your daughter's going to be a very um, strong adult. I know a lot of ballerinas, and they 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 go through some stuff yeah. to to really excel in that field. It's it's pretty intense. So physical and emotional. So yes, <laughs> yes, I, I know. Yeah. Uh, so she's learning some pretty good life lessons. And I, I think people learn really great life lessons through the arts. I mean, obviously I'm in the arts, so I, I think that the arts can teach some pretty, pretty great and heavy life lessons for sure. 100% agree like, with that. Similar to sports, similar mm-hmm. to sports. I mean, I'm partial to the arts, so, but, but definitely similar to, to sports. Anything that you do together that requires um, daily practice, teamwork, uh, um, going from a certain skill and learning better skills and becoming better over time. 
learning that it takes slow discipline to excel at something that's not just about natural talent. Natural talent will only take you so far. Those, right. yes, you know, those kinds of things, I think the arts teach just as, just as much as um, sports. But anyway, well, you are busy. All the children and your coaching. Uh, do, you, do you coach strictly in the North Carolina area or do you have co- people that you coach that are outside of that area? Oh, no, I coach virtually. So I coach um, anywhere. Anywhere in the world, I can coach people. I either do it via Zoom or via phone. So, okay. um, yeah, I'm able to help and support wherever anybody is. That's great. Tell us where people find you. My website is comedywood.com. That's K-A-M-I-N-I-W-O-O-D.com. Or I'm also on Facebook. My business page is It's Authentic Me. And people can easily message me there, and I will absolutely respond. Okay, great. Uh, as I tell my listeners, as usual, these things will be in the notes on the note page and uh, at DeniseRitterBernardini.com. And you'll see high, high notes with Dr. B are there and you can go and see all of this in, um, in the notes there for the podcast. If you want to reach out to comedy, rhymes with harmony. Let's <laughs> <You laughs> see what it. I Yep. 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 Well, thank you so much. It's very fascinating. And I I know you have a client soon, so I'll uh, say adieu here. (laughs) Denise, thank thank you. you so much. I have honestly really appreciated talking with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. As a side note, remember that you can also go to deniseritterbernardini.com to read the podcast notes if you need more information about today's podcast or any other previous podcast. Join me again for a new podcast coming your way. And also, please rate and subscribe to this podcast. It would mean so much to me. Thank you for listening. Sending you all peace, love, and courage.